Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you want to know more about the historical accuracy and especially the inaccuracies. Well, you have come to the right place. The Black Cast is talking movies. And talking movies right now are myself, I'm Christian Blatt, joined by the lovely Alexa, Alexa Capiello. Capiello. That's right. And obviously, if you're at home and you have an Alexa device, you might want to put her on mute. Because <laughs> when I say her name, she'll probably try, you know, the, well... This Alexa won't answer, but your home Alexa might answer questions about the Sharon Tate murders. You want to know how many times I get asked every day what the weather's like. Christian, you were supposed to be above this. Alexa, <laughs> what you. time is it? Oh my goodness. In any case, uh, there's so much to talk about, and we thought that it would be fun to have this conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As I mentioned in the intro, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. And there are, of course, a lot of... There's, they do a great job, and I would say that this is the same for Inglorious Bastards. Tarantino does a great job building up the historical context for his films and the connotation and the situations that the story is in, and then, of course, just completely changing it at yeah, a certain he point. he likes to rewrite his history. But right up until the point, you're like, oh, this is great. This is really impressive. Yeah. So, as, as people live in Los Angeles, uh, Alexa and I both have seen a lot of these places. I have been to El Coyote and also Casa Vega, but never in the same night. No. I think that would be a mistake. <laughs> I may have also taken a cab home from Casa Vega. Yeah, I live close to Casa Vega. Look at that. So, in any case, I think that uh, we'll be able to talk about some of the settings and some of the characters, but I think it's important to start with the biggest part of the movie, the biggest reveal, which is the what are known as the Sharon Tate murders, the Manson family murders. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that we, we planned. We did not plan we this, We did not guys. plan this, but today, Today's as we're talking right now, August 9th, it's the 50th anniversary of those murders. Yeah. So it just... Coincidentally, this was when we could schedule it for, and it is the 50th anniversary. I know it seems sketch, but we promise we but did not look, plan it, it that it's way. A thing that, it's something that people are talking a lot about, and I think that even somebody with a casual understanding of history yeah. knows that, that the way it's portrayed in the movie is not the way that it actually happened. Yeah, with flamethrowers and everything. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the flamethrower, oddly enough, is a no-no. <laughs> but in any case, and I think that as the movie was unfolding, I started to get the sense like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different. Now, what I thought was going to happen was that they were going to they were going to either go to Rick Dalton, that's Leonardo DiCaprio's character. I thought they were going to go to his house after, or maybe they were going to go to both. You know, I wasn't really sure. But then at a certain point, you're like, oh, yeah, no. Okay, this is... Uh, but as you watched the movie, Alexa, what was your understanding of the Sharon Tate murders? Um, I had a, a vague understanding of it. I mean, I, I knew that she had been murdered by the Manson family. Correct. Um, and I knew, obviously, that Margot Robbie was portraying her. Um, I had I didn't have a, a, a wealth of knowledge regarding her career or anything, um, but I did know that she was brutally murdered, and um, I did know that that was going to happen that night. Right. Um, However, I did not know that they were going to instead be visiting uh, Rick Dalton's house right. instead and come to their own uh, grisly end. And I, I thought that Quentin Tarantino just did such a great job with that. I, I loved it. Yeah. I was laughing to the point where tears were coming down my face. And um, the scene at the very end when he's talking to Sharon yeah. in, in the little voice box <laughs> yeah. was 
funny but also heartbreaking at the it, same it, time. It's very heartbreaking because it makes you think about the the what if, and yeah. we'll go into the Come the in spe- for, for a drink. the specifics of that night. <laughs> but the the most significant thing that you can think about, obviously, apart from the fact that the these lives would not have been lost, Sharon Tate would have given birth to, I believe, it was a son. Mm-hmm. They named him posthumously, and. The the most the interesting what if from the end of that movie is how different would Roman Polanski's life have been had his wife, uh, who was pregnant with his child, not been brutally murdered. And you wonder, certainly his life could have been exactly the same and he could have, uh, well, I guess, raped a a minor Mm -hmm. in uh, the late 70s. Oddly enough, just a little footnote to that, at Jack Nicholson's house when Jack was away. So... Way to way to be a house guest. Way to go, Roman. <laughs> way to go. So you you know you just all you can do is question what his state of mind was like for even now, fifty years later. I mean, you know? would he or would he not have done it had his wife and child not gotten brutally murdered? We don't know. Yeah. Um, but as I was talking to you about earlier, I just I feel like you have to keep in mind his mindset at the time, which was, I mean, God, how do you how do you come back from? from somebody you love and your child being brutally murdered in such a horrific way. And just to, to think about the motives of that is just insane. And then on top of that, thinking about how, how you know, he made a choice later on in his life that would prevent him from coming ever coming back to the U.S. So, Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, he hasn't been back since, uh, I believe, 1978. And, uh, you know, he won an Academy Award yeah, for the piano. Yeah, it's unfortunate because he's such a talent. Right. But, but then, of course, the other side of it is it's unfortunate because he's never had to answer for his crime, you know. Yeah, and, there you and go. And the viewpoint on Hollywood and from Hollywood in 2019 is a lot different than it was in 1989. You know, I think that there's a lot more sensitivity to these issues and for whatever reason he's been able to live in in France and in Switzerland and these are countries carefully chosen and wherever he films movies to be like Eastern Europe places that he would not be extradited to the United States it's so that you know this movie of course much less about that but although we do see Roman uh, briefly in the movie I do wonder how Tarantino was able to portray such people like for instance Sharon Tate how he was able sure. to portray Roman Polinsky and and uh, so many other famous uh, celebrities he was able to do so and I I do wonder how he was able to how they greenlit this I mean I'm sure Sharon Tate's sister did uh, have a lot of say in what he was able to do in the film. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's an interesting question because a lot of times you do, when you're dealing with public figures, you don't have to get their permission. Like Oliver Stone did a very unflattering movie about George W. Bush. We didn't need to get anybody's permission. So, it, you know, somebody like Charles Manson, you don't need to get uh, permission from the estate. I'm assuming he has an estate. But as as we were talking, you pointed out that some of the Look, these are all terrible people. They committed crimes and they're murderers, but they did change the names of some of the other yes, participants in did. the Tate murders. So I looked up on my IMDb. Yes. Um, here we go. Smurf, 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 smurf. Okay, so Tex Watson was played by Austin Butler, um, who did a great job, in my opinion. Yes. And then Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwickle and Linda Caspian. Now, Mm -hmm. Susan and Patricia were the two women with the knives that came in and and 
stabbed those people to death. And Linda Caspian was portrayed by uh, Mia. Was her name Mia? Yeah. Mir. No, I'm sorry. Maya. Maya, Maya Hawk. So, so that's Ethan. E- and Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman's, Uma Thurman's daughter. Daughter. Yeah. And so, of course, we know that Quentin Tarantino loves Uma Thurman, and so he put her in the movie. I mean, I'm, Maya's had a great career. She's already in Stranger Things. I don't know if you've seen Stranger I Things. I haven't seen the current season. Oh, uh, well. But also, you know, in just in terms of the Manson family, you have uh, Kevin Smith's daughter uh, plays one of them, you know, and some of them are, are unidentified. Uh, and they're, sorry, there was another one too, but it's like, it's several daughters, you know, like show business daughters that are playing some of the, uh, Rumor Willis is, oh. is one as well. So you get a few of, the, of those sort of uh, oh, characters his- in there. Rumor Willis was one of who? She was the one of the flower children. I believe or? so. I know Manson she's in follower? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have I know Lena uh, and Lena Dunham, Dunham was Gypsy, who yeah. is sort of like look. I don't know how to classify her role, but she's like the den mother to all of yeah. these like crazy. And Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning was Squeaky From. Squeaky. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, I did, when I was watching the movie, I did not recognize Dakota Fanning. That was later where I'm like, oh, that's who that was? Yeah. But I just hadn't seen her in a while. You know, I've seen Elle Fanning in a lot more than I have. So there's, look, Tarantino movie, it's always just full of interesting casting. And, you know, uh, and in this movie, you had sort of the interesting thing where you have people playing real life characters. But let's Um, get back to the actual. Right. So uh, it's portrayed that it said that she portrayed. So Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwickel were the three that carried out the actual uh, murders. And um, Katie, so I think Katie is supposed to be uh, Susan or Patricia, one of them, right. and she's portrayed by Madison Beatty. And Sadie is uh, what she's credited for, and on IMDb is uh, Mikey Madison. And for whatever reason, they kept Tex Tex's name. In I think there. he's an, he he's a very well known figure. I think for a lot of people, when they see the character of Tex, you know, they ride off after to go get Tex. People know who Tex is because right. he was involved. But and, the two women, right? I mean, the, yes, these they women carried out the murders, right? But you have women like Leslie Van Houten who are from the LaBianca murders, which were the next night. So these are people. Your Squeaky From is probably the best known. These women, of course, have a terrible role in history. I guess that the thinking was that you could for whatever reason and maybe they just called them these like they had these were their hippie names yeah you know maybe i mean maybe that's the thinking on tarantino's part but it was just interesting it's um, very interesting and but then, the, the one thing the one question that i wondered was in the movie we see someone drive away right. who doesn't participate and, that's and a, i had never heard that about the murder so i looked and what did you find about that um so that was supposed to be i think i'm not tarantino um but i think that was supposed to be linda caspian who if you guys are familiar or not familiar she uh was the only one with a license at the time so she was the only one who could could drive a vehicle and i think she was supposed to be their getaway driver mm-hmm. and she was portrayed by uh, uh maya hawk and um so she was in the car and she said you know she was nervous didn't want to do it and then she she's she wound up driving off in Quentin right. tarantino's version but in this version she's stood behind uh, saw the murders taking place she was outside of the house while the murders were taking place and then um, you know drove drove them away um, but she actually is the one that gave the testimony against Charles Manson Tex and everyone that committed those crimes yeah because so. the interesting thing is that 
no one was arrested in the immediacy after these murders were committed, mm -hmm. neither the Tate nor the LaBianca murders. And there were some clear connections, but obviously evidence gathering and lab analysis 50 years ago is not what it is today. So it was the simple fact that out of the Spawn Ranch where the Manson family was holed up, they were basically running a stolen car ring. Right. And that's how they were able to start bringing in members of the Manson family. And then they were able to start to get this information. And I believe it was Linda who basically just pointed right at Tax and then he was on the run, but uh, he was eventually brought in. And it's a, let's see, it's almost four months after the murders that they, they find them. So it's not necessarily some of the, I mean, obviously people who spend a lot of time focused on reading and, you know, there've been films about these murders. You don't assume that it took that long because we know who all these people were, but it was it was unknown, and it's just months of people throughout Los Angeles being terrified that you know, well, when's the next one of these going to happen? And you know, you can always ask the question why there weren't you know dozens more or, or anything like that if they were so determined to bring about uh, Helter Skelter and the the race war that would go with it was yep. really what he was focused on. Uh, let's talk about the house, which that's a kind of a great shot early in the film when you see that it's the, with the 100,000 block of Cielo drive and the, the house, the Tate house is, is no longer there, but it was only uh, ripped down about five years ago, I think. And so, and the, the new house that's there is not 10050 Cielo Drive. No, I, think I have it's that it was destroyed in 1994. 94. See, I thought it was only five years ago, but I guess that's 25 years ago. Listen, I have a whole dictionary you out do. here right now. And the interesting <laughs> thing is, is that the tragic thing about this is that Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski had only been renting that house for a few months. Mm -hmm. They moved in there and they were the, just the last resident of it at that time but they it could have been anyone in that house if it had been any time earlier other famous people who lived there uh you know this is decades before but uh carrie grant and diane cannon lived there henry fonda the uh and so when charles manson was familiar with the house was terry melcher who if you know the scene in the movie he comes looking for terry who Oddly enough, Terry Melcher is the son of Doris Day, but also was a music producer. And his girlfriend was Candace Bergen, who, apart from being in a million movies, most people know as Murphy Brown. So they were the most recent occupants right before then. And this was just a matter of Manson, you see him come to the house and looking for them, finds that they don't live there anymore. So the site of this murder and the LaBianca murders the next night are just places he'd been before. And he just picked an address of a place he'd been before instead of, you know, it wasn't like, oh, that actress Sharon Tate lives in this house. Yeah. Let's get a lot she of media attention by doing this. No, it's it just, just whomever was in that house. Yeah. And that's uh, and then the occupants of that house. It's very interesting because you were talking about a few people who could have been there that night. I know one of them is that Quincy Jones had the music producer, the musician had been yes. invited, but he ended up doing something else that night. But uh, there was also someone else who I remember Steve you said. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Who factors into this movie. He was even in the movie. Played by Damian Lewis yes. in this film, yeah. He was invited over that night by yeah. Sharon Tate. Said, hey, come on over. I'm having a 
couple friends over and he had caught the eye of some woman at a at a party or bar prior to that. And as said, Steve McQueen would, by the way. As he would yeah. do. Uh, you know, as he is Hollywood's cool guy, um, or was back then. And he decided not to go and narrowly escaped a gruesome death. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know... And, Wasn't he the one who mentioned how beautiful Sharon Tate was and how he was, like, kind of... No? There's someone who talks about... You mean in the film, someone... Yeah, in the makes, Playboy Mansion. Yeah, well, he's having a conversation with uh, a woman, and I forget who... I don't know who that's supposed to be that he's talking to, but yes, I think he, I think he does one. say that, yeah. yeah. Now, the, uh, the interesting thing is about the character of Rick Dalton in general. He is not based on an actual person, but he's inspired by an actor named Christopher Jones who Tarantino very much wanted to work with. He asked him to be in Pulp Fiction as the the role of Zed, I believe. And uh, Christopher Jones did not even return Quentin Tarantino's call. Obviously, this is before, you know, Tarantino had only made Reservoir Dogs at this point. I don't know if it had been a few years later, maybe he would have returned his call, but this is a guy who just walked away from acting in 1972. And if you were to look at his IMDb, I won't break it down. He he did a TV Western. He started doing some films in Europe. This is an actor that Tarantino is a huge fan of. And he's not particularly well-known is the interesting thing, but... You when you re- start reading about it, you're like, oh, okay, I kind of, I kind of get this. You know, I can kind of see that this is this is something that you know he he was at least inspired by. But uh, he he has uh, since passed on. Uh, that was definitely in 2014. But uh, just in reading about this, I thought it was I thought it was kind of interesting. And that's not something that I'm hearing a lot of uh, a lot of coverage about. I don't know if that's anything that you came across or if no, this... I actually found some articles saying that he um, based. Rick off of Clint Eastwood's mm-hmm. career. Yeah, I think I think that's the 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 big name is Clint Eastwood. Yes. But I, I would say that uh, some of the specifics because Clint Eastwood didn't really hit the lull that that Rick Dalton yes, hit. Yes, correct. You know, and, However, and Christopher did, Jones sort of did. Yeah, he, he did have uh, some renewed success. Um, you know, of course, westerns were going a little downhill at the time. Sure. Uh, so he did have that kind of renewed success in uh, Italy, um, doing westerns out right. there. So that's I think that's. that's I think that's the element parallel sure. there between him and Rick. Um, before we move on from the the tape murders in general, uh, you were telling me something I'd never heard before. This this so they were actually Roman and Sharon were associated with Bruce Lee. Oh yeah. And yes. the crazy theory and look, you know, Roman Polanski you know had to go through something horrific. We're just talking about at this point in his life and for him not thinking rationally, I think it's a little bit excusable, but I thought that this was fascinating. So yeah. tell me what, what he thinks might have happened, or at this point he thought might have happened. So apparently Bruce Lee lost a pair of glasses over at um, their house, Sharon Tate's and Roman Polanski's house. And um, because of these lost pair of glasses, uh, Roman Polanski thought that Bruce Lee may have carried out them the murders because, because right. he's a you know he's a martial arts genius and he could have easily killed these people if he wanted to although I don't think he would have used knives no and <laughs> I, you know I, yeah I mean I, I think that the uh, there's there's very little to to actually point to that and just the fact that there's glasses there right. is such an odd thing but anyway, to they, think they did find a pair of glasses at the scene of the crime yeah. and 
Polanski went so far as to make certain that they were not Bruce Lee's glasses by going to an optometrist and making sure that Bruce Lee's prescription was not the same as the glasses found at the scene of the crime. That's insane. Yes. No, I know. It, 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 it absolutely is. And, you know, there's there's an actual, this is a great transition away from the grisly murder portion of the film. And uh, although, you know, honestly, the the graphic nature of the murders of these members of the Manson family is, is not, you know, it's just like watching Hitler get murdered in Inglourious Bastards. You don't Which feel bad. You don't feel so bad for gratifying. them at all. I you know, yes. I, I, what a creative use of a can of dog food, know. you know, and just a little for the dog, you yep. know, just all of that stuff was, was so well done. And of course the flamethrower. I know. <laughs> and I love when he's talking to the guy through the gate. I forget which one. I think that's that's uh, Jay uh, Sebring. He's talking to him through the gate and he's like, he knows the movie that the flamethrower is from. He's like, yeah, I have it. I still have it. <laughs> it's just that stuff is just like, all right, that's, that, like, let's have a little fun with history. But what it, it, to me, it's a fun moment when Cliff Booth, that's Brad Pitt's character, he flashes back to the interaction that he had with Bruce Lee on set. And there's been some negative reaction to the sequence as it plays out in the movie. But apparently, as originally written, uh, Brad Pitt's character actually beats him up. And even Brad Pitt was like, I can't, I, it's Bruce Lee. I, I can't, I can't be really? Bruce Lee. Yeah, Bruce, I, I, I read Brad that. Brad was like, no, I can't do this. He, he didn't, he felt bad about it. You really? Know? He didn't want to do that to Bruce so Lee. So the exact opposite of what happened in Fast and Furious, <laughs> where Vin, uh, Vin Diesel and uh, whoever well, his other name, well, and the other guy, and then, like, we need to beat up everyone. Well, and, and then also, because that, that's how I wanted to tie that into right now, is because oh, really? in the present day, yes, you, you have Vin Diesel and you have The Rock, and oh, yeah. they have have very specific contracts where they can only be hit X number of times in a film, X number of times in a scene. They can't be beaten up. And Bruce Lee had a an incident like this in, in 1966 he he guest starred on an episode of the Batman TV series and cuz it was a crossover with the Green Horn, Hornet where he played Kato and they wanted Robin to beat up Cato, and he's like, I'm not getting beat up by Robin. Yeah. So they had to come to a decision where it was really a draw. Although, if you uh, if you speak to Burt Ward, he will tell you that he beat up uh, he beat up Bruce Lee on TV. <laughs> but it was a, it was a huge point of contention that it was like I'm not getting beaten up by Robin. <laughs> so it goes back to to that level. And I thought that the way the scene plays out is so funny, and it's something that's in the trailer. He's like, the, you know, the fact that his fists are registered as a weapon, and if I kill someone with them, you know. The police economy is like, well, yeah, of course you will. It's called it's called manslaughter. So I thought that the the interaction was funny and it's a fun scene. Yeah, I think everybody needs to just calm down. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. This is not all realistic. It's never meant to be. Brett, it's not it's not a biopic. So yeah, Brad fine. Pitt, his dog, and a flamethrower take out some of the Manson family. So it's clearly not a historical document, which was why we thought it would be fun to do this show, is right. to kind of talk about some of this stuff. But the so I guess Bruce Lee's daughter is upset and look in this day and age the fact that he got beaten up by a white man is is part of it I, I don't know if it had been another another kung fu master maybe it would have been okay but the idea that Bruce Lee got beaten up by anybody he didn't really get beaten up he just got thrown around a couple of times yeah. the fight is stopped yeah you know? nobody so wins the nobody fight wins it's the a fight. draw yeah I would say that the real loser is that car that, uh, <laughs> that Cliff dented with Bruce Lee but I think Brad Pitt 
Ryan is the loser. He got fired. So, y- yeah, you know, that's true. He end. didn't get to uh, keep working. And so, also, Bruce Lee, you, you, did you mention that he did actually train Sharon? Yeah, for, to, for the movie that she goes to see, yeah. the one with Dean Martin that I actually forget the name of it now. Um, uh, but you can let us know in the I, chat. Yeah. I'll, I'll find it. Uh, I don't want to take the time to look for it. But yeah, and I thought... When I'm watching the movie, I'm like, well, that's weird. I guess they're going to have us believe that Bruce Lee trained Sharon Tate. For the Wrecking Crew. For the, the Wrecking, wrecking crew. crew. Thank you, Jeff Graham in the booth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, a movie that I don't even know if you'd be able to see right now. And, uh, you know, I think that that's kind of the interesting thing about this being the alternate take on history is we spend so much time with Sharon Tate in this film going to the movies and just, you know, buying the book for, for Roman. And... It's really, I think, to lull us into the expectation of, like, just remember how tragic this yeah, is, what happens to her. Yeah. And then she doesn't. Yeah. And I, look, I know it's Quentin Tarantino and anything can happen, but I, through most of the movie, I was expecting her to die? that to be carried out and maybe, you know, in some way that Rick Dalton overhears some of it or, they, like I said, they go to his house second, something like that. I did not think that that was what was going to happen. So... It's. It, I think it's well done, and let's talk about that. That's the other controversy about surrounding the movie. Something that Quentin Tarantino. If you want to Google something fun, go on YouTube and look for Quentin Tarantino gets mad at reporters, or, <laughs> sorry, interviewers, and ask him like. Don't you think Sharon Tate could have had more lines? And I would say, sorry, Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate, obviously. I would say that. The way she's used in the movie, she could not really have had too much more dialogue. However, she's a plot device in the film. But that's it. Y- yeah, but you feel that that's that question could be asked a different way. No, right? I, I do. I don't personally believe that um, Sharon Tate needed more lines in this movie. I think that her uh, her being in the film, uh, as much as she was, served its point, which was. <laughs> You know, she was there to to show Hollywood at a certain time, and she was sh- there to show the tragedy of what happened, and she was also there to uh, divert from, <laughs> you know, divert to what Tarantino's real history or his own history was going to be at the end. Uh, she was she was great. Margot Robbie did a wonderful job with her, but um, I thought that he could have taken away from the amount of time that he spent with Rick and Cliff. Uh, you know. Developing their characters. Gosh, there were so many scenes where I just thought dragged so long. And, you know, I thought basically that he could have taken away from developing those characters to the extent that he chose to develop them and putting some time into another made up female character at the time that could have contributed to the story somehow in some way make make a, make a strong female character in Hollywood right and we were talking before the before we started here and to me the strongest female character in the movie is the little girl that he meets on set she has some of the best work to do on screen she has a, a very distinct impact on Rick Dalton's life and I mean also I thought she was great that little girl I thought that she did a great job but other than seeing Kurt Russell's wife, that character, I believe her name was Janet, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it, she breaks up the fight with Bruce Lee and we see her one other time. There are not a lot of female characters in the movie. Obviously, you have the host of Manson's Girls. Right. But 
for the most part, I would say that uh, Lena Dunham has some good lines as Gypsy. You get a little, you get some good stuff from Squeaky From, as played by Dakota Fanning, mm-hmm. but you don't get a lot. I, I would say, you know, and I think that that's a criticism you'll hear about, you know, a lot of movies, but something that you've heard before about Tarantino to the extent that he's livid when you ask him about it. Right. So I mean, clearly, he, it's something he's heard before. Yeah, and it's true. He doesn't really have a lot of strong female characters <laughs> in his. Movies, I would say that. I think Kill uh, Bill's the exception because yes. Uma Thurman's character is one of his strongest characters overall. But, right, um, but I want to say in terms of development, in terms of development, in terms of uh, giving them full arcs, uh, yeah, probably just Uma, Uma Thurman's character. I mean, in Glorious Bastards, uh, the female in that too. Sure, I forgot her name, but. She was, de- it was. It's always a, around uh, revenge, though. It's always yes. regarding an, a revenge plot with females. I don't understand why. Well, I think that you know he's a fan of a very specific time in Hollywood. I mean, if you think about, you know, he worked in a video store in the '80s, so a lot of what he's seen is that's kind of those were the best female characters. You know, he's a tremendous fan of the Grindhouse era, as evidenced by that project, but oh, also yeah. black exploitation, and you know, just. Look, he sat in a movie, he sat in a video store all day. So yeah. it was whatever was there is is what he watched. So that's why he has this affinity for it. But that doesn't make the criticism any less real. Right. That there aren't particularly strong female characters and the ones who are the best you don't see that much like really you have one really good squeen with scene with squeaky from squeaky from you try saying that at home (laughs) scene with squeaky squeaky (laughs) squeen with squeaky I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that he could have developed uh, Linda Caspian a little bit more Um, so uh, yeah Maya Hawke's character sure she just ran off obviously yeah she did just run off but it's almost like why did she run off you know they could have given a little bit more to the the Manson girls there and, and also here's the thing that we know that there's a four-hour cut of this movie. The running time for those of us who saw it in the theater, I believe it's 2.40, maybe 2.45 with credits. He has a four-hour cut. He's thought about bringing over to Netflix after the, the theatrical release. So who knows what's in there? You know, maybe there's going to be, you know, maybe there's more work for some of the female characters. There's also what I thought was very funny in the credits was uh, Tim Roth was credited, but then in parentheses it mentioned that he was cut from the film. <laughs> so whatever it was that he did, we could see at, at some other point. I thought that that was a, that was a nice touch. Uh, obviously, we get uh, some, of, some of the gang, the usual characters, Character actors that we see, some of the some of his friends, we see Michael Madsen in this movie. I like seeing Kurt Russell, and my friend that I saw it with asked me a great question that I hadn't considered, and I'll see what uh, Alexa thinks. And for those of you watching live on the chat, we'll uh, check out what you have to say. That Kurt Russell is also the narrator. Now, do you think that Kurt Russell as a narrator is just some omniscient narrator voiced by Kurt Russell? Or is it his character from the movie narrating it? I don't have a good answer. I was just wondering what you think. Uh, you know, I didn't really think about it at the time. Yeah. But I think the more interesting choice is that he's his character, not Kurt Russell. Yeah, that he's just like, of course, like the, like his character, Randy the stuntman, is going to know all this stuff happened. He's right. going to know these guys really well. I think that's and, what Tarantino was out and after. He, of course, he refers to, in his conversation with Rick, one of my favorite flashbacks in the movie, which is when Cliff is on the boat with his wife and he's holding a gun and she is nagging him and berating him. And we don't see that he shoots her. <laughs> I think whether or not I'm going to assume he shot her, but we don't actually see it. Right. And I think like not even hearing the sound, you know, just the uh, yeah, you can figure out what happened next. <laughs> 
I thought it was a nice way to tell that story. Uh, so there's obviously a lot of little touches for a bygone era of Hollywood. It is over the credits, but one of the things that we see is Rick doing a first-person commercial for cigarettes, mm-hmm. which you used to see a lot more on television, obviously. I mean, and this was for his uh, for his television show. So you would see that, like, there's actual, like, uh, Lucy and Ricky in character talking about their favorite cigarettes. They're, if you Google these on YouTube, you can see shorts. They're black and white of the Flintstones talking about their favorite cigarettes. cigarettes. Not Pebbles Ooh, and Bam smoking. Bam, fortunately. <laughs> but Fred Fred was a Chesterfields man or whatever it was. I actually don't remember what brand it was. So you can find all these things out there. And it was so commonplace, but I thought it was so funny that they actually filmed one. And I thought yeah. Leo did a great job because obviously when they cut, he like immediately talks about how much he hates the cardboard cutout. <laughs> which, uh, uh, you know, little, little touches like that, I think, are what make Tarantino movies so enjoyable. Honestly, yeah. I mean, uh, when's the last time we got to see any historical like this. I know obviously Tarantino rewrote history near the end, but it was so cool seeing 1960s, 70s Hollywood. And that's the interesting thing when you live somewhere like here that, you know, look, I I grew up in New York State and a lot of things just look different now because things get so worn down by the weather and the elements and just change. But when you go around Los Angeles, a lot of things do still look the same as they did back then. Obviously, the, the Tate house isn't there anymore, but you have the the Spawn Movie Ranch yep, is still is still there, and, and they even modeled the uh, the truck over there. I think right. they had it in the uh, actual movie itself. So right, and that was uh, that was a great little scene by Bruce Dern there as uh, as as Mr. Spawn. I thought that was yeah. great, and you know uh, I as I've said I've been to both Casa Vega and El Coyote, which are both still open and both still st- uh, serving very strong margaritas. <laughs> And the, uh, yeah, actually, you can go back to that one, Jeff. We saw that they had Cliff living behind the Van Nuys drive in, which this photo, for those watching on YouTube, you'll see that this is, of course, not from 1969 because it has Die Hard with a Vengeance and True Lies on there. But this is uh, from right before it closed in the late 90s. It turned now, into a school now. Because it's not there anymore, yeah. they actually filmed it in uh, Paramount. California, which is no relation to this studio. That's just the name of the town. Uh, so, because there are still a few drive-ins uh, scattered throughout Southern California. That was one of my favorite shots in the film when they went just, over the drive-in sign yeah. and then went back down and we saw where, where Cliff Booth lived right behind it. And, the, you know, it's arguable as to whether or not anybody could live right behind a drive-in, but it still looked it's so still cool. so cool. And it's, it's just a tribute to... To Tarantino tributing, uh, you know, all of film. Like, he just loves movies. Yeah. You can tell. Every time you watch a film of his, you can tell just how much he loves movies. And most of his films are, are just that. They are just tributes to all the films that he's and, loved over And he loves years. movie stars. And as yep. we mentioned, a movie star in the film is Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. But there's also a compelling sequence that I looked around on the internet. I couldn't find a still of the way it's used in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But there is a still that we do have for those watching on YouTube that you can see, which is the scene from The Great Escape. And I thought that the way that they replaced Steve McQueen with Leonardo DiCaprio looked so great. At this In this day and age, we've seen a lot of that now, but it still looked so cool to have him kind of interacting in the scene the way it was. But 
it uh, I, I thought it, I thought it looked really cool, and it was such a it was such a fun little bit of backstory. Just the way that he's like, no, 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 I, ne I never came close to being the Great Escape, <laughs> and then he remembers. And if you look, Alexa can see it now, and everybody watching at home is just like, oh yeah, they just uh, put him in that jacket, they did. and they just green screened it out. And the interesting thing that I was I read two interesting things about this. One. It was not that expensive to license the scene from the movie, which wow. I thought of a movie like Great Escape, I thought would have thought would have been tremendously expensive. And in trying to look for the image of Leonardo DiCaprio inserted into the film, Tarantino was saying as recently as May that he'd actually taken this scene out. He liked it a lot, but he felt like it didn't work. Clearly, by the time it came out, he's like, ah, oh, who cares? Two hours, 40 minutes. You know, let's just let's put everything in that I like, which I thought it was fun. And I loved the scene that's from the TJ Lancer pilot. It's so long. Yeah, it does not need to be that long, but I enjoyed it. Yep. I thought you got to see Rick Dalton as an actor, and that yeah. was the great moment for and the the little cool. girl to just be like, "That's the best acting I've ever seen." Yeah, and I mean, it was all about him coming back from feeling like he's been in an actor's slump in a bit for a very long time, and that was a cool uh, moment to cheer for for Leo's character at that point. I do want to mention though. Yes, please. Uh, so there's a director uh, in the movie. Uh, I think it's for. I think it is for Lancer. For Lancer, yeah. It's Sam Wanamaker. Right. Wanamaker? I hope I'm saying it right. I think you but did say not, it right, yes. Um, he's a real actor turned director. In the film, he's played by Nicholas Hammond, uh, who is TV's Spider Man in the 1970s. The 1978 Spider Man, yes. Yeah. Which is. Uh, you know this. If anybody, big... who's, anybody who's a fan of Spider Man knows how terrible that show is, <laughs> it, is one, it is one of the worst. But you know what I'm going to bet? There was a VHS compilation of, quote-unquote, the best of, the live-action Spider-Man. I guarantee that uh, Tarantino saw that dozens of times when he worked in that he video like, store. I need Sam Wenneker yeah. to play this part, just because yeah. I like him so He's much. Like, I need, I need that, that Spider-Man, exactly. So, yeah, and there's a... There, so what are some of the other interesting things in there? You have a lot of character yeah. notes. Yeah, so that, Cliff, Cliff uh, yeah. by the way, I don't know about you, but uh, Brad Pitt in this movie... Not only was he a hunk, but... <laughs> well, thank you for saying what he I've been was. waiting to say the whole movie, he the was, whole show. He was just such... He did such a wonderful job with this this character, yeah. and he was so likable. And uh, apparently his character, uh, Cliff Booth, um, the main source of his character was Hal Needham. 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 Excuse me. Needham. There yeah. we go. But who it's was, spelled Needham, so yeah, <laughs> but it's how Needham. I do need yeah. some ham, too. Uh, who was Burt Reynolds' stuntman. Right. Um, and I love I love Burt. Uh, I actually trained with him for a little bit. He's great. He was, a, he was a great guy. He really I, was. I didn't um, know that about you. That's fantastic. Yeah. So he was a, uh, he was a Burt's stuntman, and he became a successful film director, yeah. including directing Burt in the film Hooper. Uh, where Bert played an aging stuntman whose unflappable attitude yes. in the face of danger bears more than a little resemblance to Cliff Booth. Yeah, there's there's not you know there there are a handful of stuntmen, stunt people turned uh, actors and directors and things. But there's not a lot. But Hal Needham's you know one of the ones that uh, people know. Uh, and you know we've referenced a lot of the locations in in and around Hollywood that they used. Uh, Musso and Franks is one of them. And, you know, I think that they did a great job. But like I, I said, I remember when they were filming this movie that there were a lot of closures on Sunset Boulevard because all they really needed to do, Sunset or Hollywood, they just, you just need to drive down and a lot of the marquees look the same. Some of them 
you just have to change the lettering, you know. Uh, some of them are, are closed, but that was legit. It, my one of my favorite parts. Of just the film watching was them drive watching, around. Watching them drive around, you know, Hollywood back then. Yeah, there's a point the set decoration when Cliff brilliant. picks up uh, who we later find out his name Pussycat uh, as a hitchhiker. The on ramp they get on is actually right near my house in, in Burbank, and I was like, wow, they really did a great job in dressing it to not look at all like it does now. And the highway shot. Um, so they 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 close down a highway at night. This is this is a this was a common practice back in the day. They would shoot a lot of um, night scenes in movies like like Home Alone Two. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, that was because of child labor laws. But they it, shot they they shut down a whole highway okay. at night, and they put up some uh, black screens as well. And I mean that just the fact that they could shut down a whole highway to yeah. shoot a film in L.A. Right, I, and this was this was the ninety near Marina Del Rey. I saw it in your email, but yeah. I realized that I didn't have the picture. Only now that we're on the air, it's and, okay. Don't yeah. worry about it. It's totally fine. But just the fact that they would do something like that yeah. for the film. I mean, Quentin Tarantino, he pulled out all and, the stops. And, and look, just... filming day for night was very common. There's a, f- a film that a lot of people see in film school called Day for Night, and you would think that you could just film Day for Night so easily. Why wouldn't you do that, creators of Game of Thrones? I don't know. I know. Wouldn't it just be so much easier to film in the daytime instead of filming at night and being like, let's light this scene with candles. In any case. Frustrating, that scene. (laughs) Yeah, shots fired. fired. Exactly. Uh, In any case, there's so much more to really talk about. And uh, I'll uh, look over in the chat in a moment. But I did want to give Alexa and I just a moment here just Overall, we've talked a little bit about it. It's been interspersed throughout the course of this show. Some of your overall thoughts about just the movie, what you liked the most about it, anything that you haven't gotten to talk about yet that you want to make sure to uh, get to reference. I mean, again, I, I like I mentioned, I just love the world building of it all. I thought Quentin Tarantino did such a wonderful job taking us back in time. And uh, I love movies like that. I love movies that that spend time talking about uh, what could have happened, and then also when they say a, based on a real story. All that I love. Most of the time, I love movies about that because I, I like yeah. real events. And know? I also love when they use like in Fargo, uh, based on a true story, and it's like, oh no, it's actually not based yeah. on a true story. <laughs> but when they, you're told there that, there are liberties they no, take. But with when that. you're told that, you're like, oh yeah, oh, this is great. This could have happened. This this could have been a real thing. Um, and so obviously the the historical aspect of it all, um, Hollywood back then. Um, I loved seeing Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. She was such a perfect fit for that role um and then also i mean in terms of character development that's i mean the 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 buddy story between brad pitt's character and leonardo dicaprio's yeah. character i mean uh i i know um you know i i've been fortunate enough to know uh, a, a lot of actors out here some of them are, are further on in their careers and have good relationships with their stunt people or you know uh, people that help them along in their career and that that relationship that they had the two the two brad pitt and leo it was a very real relationship and and something that i've seen uh here in hollywood and i thought that he did such a wonderful job writing and you those can just, two characters you can just see how that would happen like yeah. legitimately because your stuntman's going to be around with you a lot yeah, and brad Pitt and, building him up it's okay yeah. dude i'm here with you i'm here with you to you know and it's such a hard job to be an actor right and leo's just going through it right now he doesn't know where his career is gonna go right and uh it's just a very real thing for a lot of actors and he did such a wonderful job writing those characters and 
Last shout out. I loved the Italian wife that he chose. She was great. She was I, wonderful. And I was saying this to Alexa before we started, that I love that she got in a shot at one of the Manson girls, you yeah. know, because she could have just screamed the whole time, stayed in the back room or, you know. I I wasn't sure what was going to happen to any of the people in the house. You know, I like the fact that they had Cliff, you know, on the, having smoked the acid cigarette because clearly <laughs> he's not going to be 100% right. himself. Because if he was, I don't think the scene would have lasted that long. Exactly. And I love the way he's recounting it later. He's like, yeah, I'm the devil and I'm going to do some devil shit. But what he <laughs> what Tex says in the movie is actually, you know, what, what he said. Happened, yeah. yeah. So I thought it was interesting that the, you know, a, a phrase that's lived on in infamy like that, the way in this reality, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to do some devil shit. I don't know what he said. <laughs> I, I, I just, the, the matter of fact way that he played that. One thing that uh, I think people are talking about how he's in the movie, but uh, I have to give some credit to Al Pacino as Marvin oh, Schwartz, yes. who, look, there are so many people. That, look, that's a great, there's a lot of different ways to do a Hollywood agent, especially from that era. But he's, sure, he's looking how to cash in for himself, but he knows how to help this guy's career. And he's like, he's obviously, he he knows that he's got Rick Dalton over here. He's got his Italian friends over there. He wants to bring them together because, yes, he's going to make some money, but he's like, it's a great fit. And I just love the way he plays it. And, it, you know, just sort of the the old school Hollywood agent planted at the, at the restaurant. If you want to get a hold of him, you go to Musso and Frank's. That's where you're going to find him. I mean, this is all stuff yeah. that probably has happened. Before, yeah, it's so. exactly. It's just, and, and I love that he's Marvin Schwartz and not Marvin <laughs> Schwartz. You know, I mean, little touches like that. And, you know, we referenced uh, Bruce Lee. We should uh, give credit to the actor. Uh, Mike Moe is his name. Yeah, M-O-H. He I think a he, great, did a, great he did job. a tremendous job yeah. as uh, as Bruce Lee. And I think his, his daughter's, you know, a little upset about it because people in this day and age tend to take uh, fiction as a reality unfortunately. I think oh, people believe look, a at, lot. At some point, maybe in the very near future, there will be a high school report submitted about the 60s that references the fact <laughs> that Sharon Tate was not murdered oh, right. thanks to the work of Cliff Booth. <laughs> You know, and and they just they'll be like, "What? I saw it. It was in the movie. I saw it in the movie. Totally happened. I know that was Brad Pitt. Flamethrowers. Yeah, that's how it happened. Flamethrowers. Which was epic, by the way. I mean, yeah. And and again, those are the sort of things. Not the flamethrower being used at the end, but his movie, the 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 fourteen. I forget what the title of the movie was. The movie that he did though, where he you know flamethrowers a bunch of Nazis. We didn't need to see that much of it. Bastards. No, 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 no. In this movie, of course, Inglorious Bastards. But Rick Dalton's Nazi movie, movie, whatever it was called, (laughs) that we didn't need that much footage from it. And we didn't need that much footage from Lancer. But I'm sitting there with my friend. I'm like, I'm just enjoying this. This is great. (laughs) Like, they want to give me another hour and 20 minutes? Please. Yes, I will watch it. We will always forever enjoy watching Nazis. But then that's the beauty, though. You know, when there's the four hour version, we can come back and we can talk about the rest of the history. Yeah, maybe in that four hour version, he wrote a a female character that has a very well developed. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but you've seen his movies. So. Yeah. you know maybe not. Uh, not so where does this rank for you is it is it one of your what are your top 3 favorites do you think this is this is one of those um actually i think inglorious bastards is my favorite of okay. his i also uh, love 
Pulp Fiction. Sure. Um, I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs. Oh my goodness! I it, need to. It, yeah, you definitely I know, do. I it's know. a it's a great film, and I saw that in the theaters, Reservoir Dog, but not when no, Reservoir Dogs, not when it's first out. It was like right before Pulp Fiction came out. There was all this buzz about it, so they put Reservoir Dogs back in like select cities with like an extended trailer, and I saw it, and I was like, oh my god, how did I? Know? And that's the way that people tended to find Reservoir Dogs, mostly on home video or later release. Just like, how did I not know about this movie? Uh, and it's great. And I think because it's his first, it still edges out Pulp Fiction a little bit. Pulp Fiction, look, it might be better. I couldn't believe that movie the first time I saw it, though. So great. And, uh, you know, for me, I would actually put Hateful Eight as number three. I loved the extended 70-millimeter really? cut of that movie. Wow. And yeah, and that's I forgot enough. about that movie. I was like, meh. <laughs> well, you forgot about how great it was, too. So that's probably my third favorite. But I, look, I love this movie. Django. I actually really enjoyed Django. Django's great, too. Um, yeah. I, know, I know a lot of people didn't like it. I liked it. No, I, I thought Django time. was great. I, I think it, you know some of it's a little, it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but I think that's the point of the story. Right. So I think it's all right. And there's a movie you haven't seen that I, I was shocked you hadn't oh, seen. Oh, Jackie Brown? No, not that one. I don't give a shit. I actually don't <laughs> like that one. <laughs> oh, um, uh, the first one. first one. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir You've never Dogs. seen it. I still haven't seen it. I know. And we, we talked about it. And I was just like, you know, you, you could probably watch it, but uh, now why do you think at this point you haven't seen it? Just something it's, about it doesn't speak to you? No, there's there's quite a few really good films that I have not gotten around to see. It's just timing and, I mean, I don't know, you know, it's, <laughs> I have time, but at the same time, I'm always trying to keep up with current shows sure. because I'm, you know, I'm in the industry and I'm auditioning for this stuff and it's hard. It's hard to, to backtrack, um, but... I will see Reservoir Dogs. Now, I so I was going to say, I can get you to promise. Now, does it help make it more likely if I say, hey, we should do something for, not After Buzz, but for Popcorn Talk, where we like watch it so we can do a show? Or is that going to make you less likely to want to watch it because that meant hanging out with me again? No, I'd do it. <laughs> All I right. I'd do it. I think that uh, there's always... There's you don't always... smell that bad, so it's fine. That makes one of us. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we we can figure out a time to do that. But cool. uh, I wanted to circle back to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, there's a couple of fun items that we should add into the conversation that we just neglected to talk about in the conversation we just had over the last hour that was not at all something that we recorded a few weeks ago and we're adding on to now. So this natural conversation that we've had for the last hour, there were a couple things, one of which you sent to me. You found something amazing on Wikipedia, and I wanted to start there. Yep, I did. <laughs> so if you look up uh, Tex, Tex, uh, what's his last name? Tex, Walton? Tex Watson. Watson. Yeah. On on Wikipedia, <laughs> you you go down to cause of death. <laughs> it says Cliff Booth's dog yeah. uh, maimed him to death, which is hilarious. Obviously, that's that's. I mean, that's not not only Tarantino canon, but it is also history. Clearly, I mean, it, it's it's what's really happened now. Obviously. Because if Wikipedia says it, yes. it's true. And I just thought that was amazing. And and you know, look, Wikipedia usually has a pretty good sense of humor about itself you know if somebody says something you know embarrassing like and it's not the best example but you know at one point like Al Gore infamously said he invented the internet so Wikipedia had it been around at that time would have immediately put as his first thing inventor of the internet you know so <laughs> yeah. when people anytime somebody misspeaks it's like oh I'm gonna, so somebody is determined like I'm going right to that wiki and I'm definitely changing it so that's always fun uh, another thing that I found which was from what are you Vulture, talking about? Wikipedia is the most accurate source 
source of information ever. Honestly, I use it way too much. Me too. I do it for like interview prep for like my real job and for and for one and every once in a while I see something I'm like that can't be true and I look it up somewhere else and usually it's that stuff that's right and then there's just dumb stuff. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm not from Michigan. I'm from Ohio, you idiot. And I'm like, oh, sorry. But Stupid Wikipedia. To be fair, that's like how all history is written. It's always written by somebody and it's <laughs> biased and all that stuff. Yeah, so. but usually like in history books and, you know, in the old days when you would get... American me, history? Come on. Let me tell you about the old days. <laughs> Let's talk about Christopher Columbus and how great of a person he was. Hey, I mean... That's most of... That was most of American history books up until a certain point where everyone was like, huh, maybe we shouldn't glorify they <laughs> they still have the they still have the parade uh, in in New York every year. It's that's still a day off. True story. Friend of mine, uh, actually my old roommate Tim Sicardo, past guest on the broadcast many times. He moved here. Uh, he lived and worked in New York, and before that, he lived in Rhode Island. So when he's first the first year he was working out here, he just didn't come to work on Columbus Day because you always had it off. And everybody was like, "Where were you yesterday?" He's like, ah. "They're like, no, seriously, where were you yesterday?" He's like. It was Columbus Day. They're like, yeah, that's not a thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> just not a thing. But wait a minute. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm casting aspersions, but I, I feel like I know what your heritage is. And, mm -hmm. and you're renouncing Christopher Columbus because I find it hard to believe that you took a minute to look at some facts and we're like, oh, I guess he wasn't a great guy. He raped and killed so many Native Americans. Like, no, he's not a good guy. Not a good guy. Is he, yeah, but he had a nice hat. He I mean, sure he, did. Yeah. and Nice boats, too. Badass names for boats, yes. right? Nina Pinta, Santa Marina? Santa Maria. Santa Maria. So, yeah. Maria. I was like, Marina. Yeah, I know. As soon as I said right. it, it's like, it's, yeah, <laughs> Marina Del Rey was actually her name. <laughs> And yeah, so you know, it's a, it's a, he's an interesting uh, historical figure. But you're right. I think that the uh, the story has maybe changed a little bit on him. So we don't have a Napoleon Day. Well, he's basically that, I mean, the same kind of conqueror. Yeah, but he didn't really do anything for America. At least like Columbus got lost trying to find something else and found a place where people already lived. You know, so. You know, he, it's basically we're celebrating that he was the first white guy to find it. You yeah. Know? And it was like, well, there's these other people here, but uh, they certainly don't count. So I <laughs> Great found guy. it. Yeah. Good, good stellar man. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. So all right. So you, you've gone out on a limb there. And uh, do you have like some like old Italian grandmother who would be very disheartened to hear that that you no, talk badly I don't about? No, really honestly have family members that really care too much about okay. Columbus. Yeah. Boy, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Florida, New York City. Kind of both. They're, they're not the same place. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> okay. I kind of no, say see, both. But in like, New York City, that it's, it is a big deal because they have the parade and they take it very seriously. Right. So that's one of the only places I know where it's a big deal, you know, uh, having lived in, in New York and here. Um, I knew you, you were from Florida, and that's why I couldn't understand why you wear that awful Yankees hat. And, I, and then I guess if you lived in New York, I guess it makes sense. So I guess we can move on from that. We can still be friends if you want to be. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> so there was another article that I shared with you that the title alone is pretty amazing. It's, the, it's from Vulture. 
the exquisite joy of watching Brad Pitt make Kraft mac and cheese. Now that's referencing the fact that in the movie he is making macaroni and cheese when he's in his little trailer right behind the drive-in. They which call is it awesome. erotic the way he makes it. See, so this is why I needed the female perspective on this because <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, mac and I love macaroni and cheese, and I like that he makes it with real butter because this is 1969. You're not, you're not putting. I can't believe it's not butter. I don't even, like that man didn't even own margarine. You just had butter, you know. Side note, did you see the names of the dog food? I, he, I don't remember I, it. First time I watched it, I didn't pick up on it. Yeah. But second time I watched it, uh, they had rat flavor and like a couple of others that were rat flavor. Yes. Wow. I mean, look, dog probably a dog would probably think that rat is good eaten. You know, it was so and gross. Who am I to sit in the way of a dog and say like, have I ever eaten rat? No. You know what I have eaten? Pigeon. And it's delicious. Ew, really? In Morocco, it's a delicacy. Yeah. Ew. But it was good. That's so gross. I didn't like eat it off a park bench. Oh. <laughs> Wait, you want to go have lunch after this? We'll no. go sit in the park. <laughs> Just. Just you gnawing yeah. the pigeon. <laughs> hey, my treat. Don't worry. I'll, I'll get you something good. <laughs> Don't they have all sorts of diseases? They're, they're hey, considered hey. like very dirty creatures. Not in Morocco. Oh, God. <laughs> in Morocco, they get all their shots. I'm learning all new things about you, Christian. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Anyway. We, shouldn't, we shouldn't have talked about this. Brad Pitt erotically making mac and cheese. Yeah. So then. Yes. So, I would say, okay. So he, look, female I, perspective. Yeah, I do understand he's an attractive man. As he's gotten older, Hell it's not yeah. one of those things where you go like, Ooh, he's not hot anymore. I can see it. All right, I, it's a, a, you know, that in a way, he took off his shirt. I was like, holy yeah. crapola. No, I did not do that in the movie, but I did when when I got home. I thought about it. No, and it's just like, yeah, he's like a, a very, he continues to be an amazingly handsome older gentleman. Mm-hmm. You know, some people when they're you know look. Leo looked very different when he was younger. He's he's a he, he's a good-looking guy, but I don't he's, think Leo's aged quite as well. That's what I was gonna say. He's better. He's sort of become a character actor, but because of his body of work, he still gets these great roles. But no, he has he you know he's not. Well, he was like a child when he was in Titanic, but mm-hmm. you know he's still he definitely has not aged as well. And I think Brad Pitt has. So watching him make macaroni it's like and a cheese, fine wine. yeah, right, that's right. You, you put Brad back on the shelf, and I'm like, no, not just yet, Brad. Don't you worry. It's like Silver Fox. <laughs> so did you have that thought while you're watching him make macaroni and cheese? Uh, mostly for the mac and cheese, not so yeah. much like I. I you know, he's so sad. I mean, yeah, he's obviously a good-looking man, but I, I did. I, you know, I read the article and I, I, um, I did agree with the the author in that it was. It made me want to eat mac and cheese. I wanted it so much. I really did. <laughs> if really... the theater I went to, if I knew they sold it in the lobby, I would have gone to get it. Yeah. I would have been like, I don't care what I'm missing at this point. I need that macaroni and, and cheese. It's cool that, I mean, it's a Tarantino move, but he, he takes his time. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very mundane task, but it was really fascinating to sit there and watch him do it and funny as yeah. well. So yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's setting up, you know, just how well trained his dog is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there, you know, there are, are those whom I disagree with that feel that a lot could have been cut out of the movie and maybe that's one of those scenes, that's but it's not so much that I don't think that should have been cut out. No, because it, it, set, it sets, sets up, up the, the dog, dog being able to, you know, yeah. I mean, that that's a, an incredibly important moment. Uh, the same Vulture article. The Lancer uh, stuff, I think, could have been cut down exponentially. It could have, but I still enjoyed it. I agree that it didn't need to be that long, like just those long scenes. I thought there's great acting in it. 
you know so i was just like i'm enjoying this but yeah does it need to be in your theatrical release to make it two hours and 40 minutes it doesn't need to be there but i enjoyed it uh the same vulture article asked a really important question uh which characters in this film uh had the dirtiest feet Hmm. and the answer according to vulture is dakota fanning i would say that margot robbie's feet were very clean but it does bring up the fact that we have to talk about all the feet that we've yeah. seen in the movie. I, we somehow missed talking about that. And Just an hour ago when yeah. we started this conversation, yes. <laughs> there is a lot of feet. Quentin Tarantino likes his feet, likes he, his tootsies. He really does. And, I, I mean, it's... I, I don't know. Look, there's... there's oh, I way- think the other girl had the dirtiest feet. Which Not one? squeaky. Oh, um, the, 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 the one in the car? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did they call she her? She was pretty gnarly. She she even she had hair everywhere. Yeah, and I know. I'm, I'm all for like women doing whatever they want, but she looked like she hadn't bathed in. Uh, well, quite I think some it's time. a very specific look from a very specific yeah, time. I think that uh, you know the the self grooming amongst the Manson family probably uh, left a little bit to be desired. <laughs> I'm just I'm just going out on a limb yeah. there. Yeah. So there's uh, so much to the movie but uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is because you now do you as a woman prefer to be called an actor or is it okay to call you an actress uh, it doesn't really bother me either way but I think politically political correct ways is just actor. to say an actor yeah. yeah I understand and I just didn't want you to be like wait a minute did you know <laughs> I'm a girl <laughs> you can't call me an actor I didn't want to upset you but I feel like you can there's some things that I was wondering what your insight was like we see how stressed out uh, Leo gets when you know he just gets his line wrong so his character Rick Dalton obviously I think Leo knew his lines in the movie although you know what maybe didn't so uh, is that something that you were able to relate to you know that maybe some of us who aren't actors are like just how frustrating it is you're like I know that line but I can't believe that I didn't get it right yeah that's actually one of my favorite parts of the movie was watching Leo have an absolute meltdown in his trailer about not getting it right yeah it's hard acting is hard and I definitely could relate to, to Rick Dalton Dalton's uh, plight the, the whole time. It was. I just don't think that we needed to spend so much time on it. You know, there was a lot. But the little girl said that it was the best acting she'd ever seen. Yeah, whatever. That little girl, <laughs> I, she was sweet and very, yeah. very fun to watch. But also that scene in particular, the one where she's talking about acting, what it means yeah. to her, and you know, he's talking about what it means to him with the book. And all that. I was like, oh, this needs to be cut down a lot. But she is the female with the most lines in the movie. I know. So if you cut so those sad, down. <laughs> which is why I said there should be another female, not not any of the females that were in the film, just another one that was written in that could have yeah. been strong enough to be top build. And Margot Robbie was not that character. I mean, Sharon Tate was No, I, I don't think Sharon Tate really needed to be in the movie more. I like that uh, Charles Manson has a cameo in this movie. Yeah, he's like, it's, it, yeah. No, wait, once. We just the one time he's like, he's yeah, like looking, he's looking for the people that used to live at the house. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, so yeah, that scene that you're talking about, though, when he's so angry and he trashes his trailer, it just reminds me of one of, you know, yes, it's a very obvious great movie to reference but in Citizen Kane there's a sequence where he's so mad that he's just like trashing his house but it's not entirely scripted exactly what he's going to do so there's things that are like mounted to the wall that like Orson Welles can't get off so he's like getting like legitimately angry so it like makes the scene that much better because he's just like I'm supposed to trash this room and I can't so I'd love to know how much of it was improv to be honest yeah probably most of it I I could see Tarantino being like all right Leo yeah go (laughs) what do you yeah what do you got it's nothing (laughs) 
And then you pick up the bottle and throw it. <laughs> now you flip it up. Yeah, no, no, I definitely think that. Uh, all right, so what have we learned? We've learned that uh, people who don't like this movie are wrong. Uh, and it's true. there it is a flawed movie, but uh, there it's are. It's not his best. It's but not his best. Still, it was a great film. I look forward to rewatching it, especially because with him, there's always the rumblings that there's a ton more that wasn't included. And I know, I haven't seen it, but I know there's a version of The, <clears throat> the Hateful Eight on Netflix where you can see more footage and it's broken up over a few episodes and there's at least the rumbling they could do that with this and some of the actors have talked about it, like oh yeah there was a lot of stuff that didn't make it in here an so interesting point that somebody brought up to me was uh that quentin tarantino should be deviating from doing films and doing more plays that'd be interesting i think he should uh i think he's definitely suited to direct plays and write plays at yeah this point. and i mean look if they want to get a return on their investment you can you can certainly you can certainly film them you know and like put them on i don't know apple tv or any of these you know that doesn't really scream disney plus does it but you know i think a lot of the uh, streaming sites there'll be a, a place to it's find more them. cultured audience to be honest and a lot yeah. of the gripes that i've heard and and seen about this movie are just from people that they just want to go, you know, popcorn flicks, and that's yeah. fine. But there's other things that we need yeah. to we need to work on the culture of our society. <laughs> like just just culture ourselves a little right. bit more, just a little. Just uh, well, our our own Will Sterling, who is one of the uh, the official black casters, a member of the Black Cast Nation from episode one, he uh, had problems with the movie. But I will tell you, uh, he was drunk and fell asleep for a big chunk of the movie. Oh. And I'm like, you're not allowed to not like no. it. You you, <laughs> you like didn't watch it. yeah. You can be like. Well, the stuff I saw wasn't good. You can say that, but it's like, but what if you slept through the most amazing part of the movie? What if you slept through Brad Pitt making macaroni and cheese? Right, exactly. You know, and I bet he did because you know maybe if you you had a and and he also said like yeah I shouldn't go to a movie that starts at eleven o'clock and I'm like well especially when your movie's almost three, three hours, hours like, yeah. long. So, but we want to keep this black cast less than three hours. So I have appreciated getting to have this conversation and sharing it with everyone out there with. Our very special guest, Alexa Cappiello, who I'm going to have to invite you back to the Black Cast because there's so much more I want to talk about in the very near future. Reservoir Dogs? Uh, yeah, well, we have to do that for <laughs> sure. Uh, but in the meantime, would you like people to follow you or are you like, no, I'm good? I hate followers. Yep, all uh, right. No, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Alexa Cappy, C-A-P-P-Y. Christian likes to call me Happy Cappy. Because it rhymes. Yeah, do it you does. understood that, right? I, yeah, I do. What if I started calling you Snappy but Cappy? <laughs> snappy Happy Cappy? Snappy Happy. Oh, Snappy Happy Cappy. <laughs> and I'm neither Snappy, usually not happy. Oh, wait. But, we're what? not going to talk about our favorite Tarantino movie? Because I, I definitely want to talk about my favorite one. I thought we talked about that already in no. the past, uh, the course oh, of the past hour. Oh yeah, we hour. did. But yeah. I think it's Inglorious Bastards. Okay, so you so you've had more time to think about it over I the still last think that twenty it's minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and uh, for me, I think it's still Pulp Fiction, just because it's just it, it's so impressive, like what he did. You know, just the, that work of art, and it's just. You hadn't seen anything like that, you know? I mean, because e even the way that they, they bent time in Reservoir Dogs, which I know you haven't seen, it's not as substantial as that. I remember going to see Pulp Fiction with friends, and I this is like the third time I'd seen it. And they went to the bathroom at like exactly the wrong time. So when they came back, they had jumped back to something earlier and they were like, so confused. What, what? And I'm like, this is the point. I can't, I can't, I can't explain it to you now. You like, I was like, you sure you want to go right now? And they're like, yeah, we got to go. 
So it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I guess if you watch it at home and you can pause it, maybe it's less confusing. But let us know what your favorite uh, Tarantino movies are uh, out there. And you can uh, let Alexa Cappy know. And you can let me know at Christian DMZ. That's Twitter. That's also Instagram. And the Black Cast, why that can be found at B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T on Instagram. But let's be honest, they don't use it nearly enough. But Twitter, same address. And don't get confused. It's the Black Cast on Facebook. So go ahead and give us the thumbs up. I'm showing Alexa that we need to do the thumbs up, otherwise people won't like it. If you don't say thumbs up into the microphone, yeah, they can totally (laughs) see. Now you know that I was I was saying thumbs up. And of course, blackcast.com for all of your Blackcast needs. B l a d t c a s t dot com. Thank you again, Alexa. It is always a treat to have an excuse to talk to you, uh, even though now our, our, our dearly departed Legion is long gone. I'm always trying to find excuses to be like, you want to record something in the studio? And you're like, nope. <laughs> That's not true. I couldn't make it to one show. That's true. But I miss you dearly, and we will be on another show soon. Right. Maybe you'll even be on the Blackcast again very soon. Oh. But that's not right now. We'll see you all next time on The Blackcast. basically I'm just gonna take out the name of the show from the way we did it before and the best way to do that where it won't sound weird of me cutting against my own voice is if you say uh, what did I decide you should say the <laughs> black cast is talking movies you can do a few variations in that and just say because the black cast is talking movies doesn't have to be quite so peppy as that but something along those the lines the black cast black cast my last name is black Blatt. Like the so, black cast yeah well, obviously the black cast is talking movies a little happier than that the black cast is talking movies not so condescending waka, waka. <laughs> not so fuzzy. <laughs> Okay. The Black Cast Cast is talking movies. See, I like that one. I'm going to print that one. Oh, you're recording me doing that? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're recording now. Just like we would for a normal show, except don't worry, these cameras aren't on. Okay. But everybody would see how stylish you are. (laughs)